Good morning, good morning, won't you share with a friend or two, good morning, good morning to Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome, welcome, welcome back to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host, Shante Charles. I hope that you've been having a great and wonderful day. Got a couple of things uh, on my mind and things that have been going on. So let me just share those before we jump into today's reading. Um, First off, on Monday, I did not have a show because I was taking care of my body and um, making sure I kept my appointments and all of those things. And so I'm very thankful, number one, to be able to have the ability to go see a doctor. Um, I'm very thankful to have regular checkups. And I'm very thankful that um, everything came back well. And, you know, the things that I needed to maintain as far as my health, I'm doing those things. So I got a really good report. So I'm super, super thankful um, for that. Also, earlier this week, um, I got a chance to share some of my life story um, with another podcaster who is going to be putting that show out um, probably in the next few days. And when those clips drop, I will be sure to share some of those. Um, It is really dealing with my early childhood and my own experiences with abuse and trauma. Um, The content is, some of it is somewhat graphic. Um, So it is gonna be sort of a viewer discretion is advised um, broadcast, but I think that it's important to um, share my story in more than one space. Um, And not necessarily with people who agree with, you know, my same beliefs or whatever. Um, But I am choosing to share my story in a space where other people are walking through their process of deliverance, healing, surviving abuse, and and those kinds of things. So you'll hear a little bit more about that uh, as it rolls out. And then on, I believe, January 31st, I'm going to go live with that podcaster and we're going to be going into a little bit in more in-depth discussion on some of the things that I talked about in that interview. So I'm excited about that. And hopefully my story will, um, I'm hoping that my story will, number one, help people who have been dealing with abuse and dealing with trauma in silence and not really um, addressing what has happened to them in their childhood. I'm hoping that it will encourage other people to not be silent and to address things that have happened. The other thing that I'm hoping that it will do is I'm hoping that um, in sharing my story that other parents would kind of be more mindful of their children 
and um, just the environment that they are placing their children in and to be more cognizant and more aware. And then also um, generationally, I'm hoping that, you know, if there is a pattern of abuse in families generationally, that those elders would begin to open up and share um, with their current generations so that their current generations are not blinded by what may be a pattern in their family. So that was the goal and that was my purpose um, for sharing my story. And trying to make sure that it was, it, oh, and the last thing, um, within the last 24 hours, I have heard of the news of two sudden passings. And I want to just kind of, um, number one, pray for the grieving. Um, please keep those who are grieving in your prayers. January is oftentimes a very interesting month because it feels like sometimes it's a transition month for a lot of people, um, a kind of a, a crossing over month. And so um, just be mindful spiritually and be prayerful. Um, as you are moving throughout this month, make sure you are um, doing what you need to do, being in the right places and in, and in the right spaces. Make sure you're taking care of your health. Make sure you are um, doing whatever it is that the creator has instructed you to do. If he's you know, told you, hey, you need to fast for a part of this month, then do that. If he said, hey, I want you to work on your physical aspect and you know, you need to um, see a doctor, whatever it is that you need to do that you are feeling impressed upon for this month, I want to encourage you to do that. And so I do want to say, um, offer my deepest condolences to the families that have had some sudden passings um, in the past 24 hours. It's never, grief is never an easy thing. The passing of a loved one is never an easy thing. Um, it will remain with you that their, that, um, loss of that person will remain with you for the rest of your life. Um, grief, I know people like to say, you know, you will get over it, but grief is not one of those things you get over. It's one of those things where you learn to live without that person's presence in this physical plane, but it doesn't mean that you forget them or that you have to suppress good memories about that person. Um, but you do, you do have to take time to adjust to that person not being in this space anymore. And so um, those of you who are grieving, who are dealing with the loss of a loved one, just allow yourself the time to reflect. Allow yourself time to feel whatever you need to feel as far as your emotions. And don't allow anybody to rush you on from the memory of your loved one. Okay? So I just want to encourage you in that. We're going to hop into, as we said, we're going to start with Drama Free Today. A guide to managing unhealthy family relationships. And some of what we're going to be reading today is actually some of what I talked about on the podcast that I was interviewed for. Um, this is chapter four. We're starting and it's called repeating the cycle. 
and she's going to give us a um, real life synopsis. And then we're going to talk about why people repeat unhealthy family patterns. Why people repeat unhealthy family patterns. And then we'll, if we have time, we'll get to the second book. Repeating the cycle. Denise was raised by her grandmother. Her relationship with her mom was more like they were siblings who had been raised years apart. At six months old, Denise went to live with her grandmother because her mother couldn't care for her while also working and living her life. Ten years later, her mother married and had four more children, one of whom ended up living with her grandmother. Each of the children had their own relationship style with their mother, but none of them had a parent-child relationship with her. At no point did Denise's mother attempt to retrieve her from her grandmother's house. As far as her grandmother was concerned, Denise was her own daughter, and that was the way she planned to keep it. Denise's father wasn't in her life either. Her mother and her grandmother had both been raised by grandparents, so in their family this was customary, especially when the parent was unmarried. Her grandmother was even described as wild in her younger years. She calmed down and became financially stable only as she got older and got married. Because she didn't raise her own children, she believed it was her duty to step up for Denise's mother by raising the grandchildren. She was able to give her grandchildren a life their mother could not. When Denise reached adulthood, her mother wanted a closer relationship, but it was hard for Denise to build a relationship with someone who had been so distant by choice most of her life. Denise's mother never seemed to mind not parenting her own children, but Denise couldn't justify her mother's absence. Her mother wasn't addicted to drugs or anything, so Denise wondered why she didn't raise her own kids. The more her mother tried to be a part of Denise's life, the more Denise resented it. Her mother couldn't understand Denise's feelings because despite some rocky times, Denise's grandmother and mother now had a healthy relationship. Why people repeat unhealthy family patterns. In the beginning of my career, I saw a mother and teenage daughter in my first family therapy sessions. The uncle, the mother's brother, was molesting the daughter and the mother revealed that he had molested her as well when she was a teen. As I watched the mother connect with the reality of the dysfunctional pattern of behaviors, my heart ached for her because it wasn't a cycle anyone would want to repeat. People aren't always aware that a pattern exists, but when they are, the patterns are often regarded as deep family secrets. Some families hope that a dysfunctional situation is simply an anomaly, and perhaps it will disappear if it isn't addressed. But changes don't happen unless the problem is remedied. Some things don't get better with time. A hard thing that isn't talked about enough is not having the love you needed in childhood and accepting that the adults in question still aren't what you need today. Even though we can't change people, it can be deeply tempting to try and it can feel like the repair work we need when it in fact, it is not our work to do. Give yourself a lot of grace if you're still accepting that someone important in your early life is still unable to give you what you need. Ignorance is bliss because it absolves us of the need to change. Sometimes it's easier to pretend to be unaware of the truth because we don't want to do the hard work of dealing with conflict and ugly realities within the family. 
Family patterns of unhealthy behaviors can perpetuate for years due to a fear of isolation, a contentment with the status quo, or a lack of the tools needed to change. Ignorance is bliss because it absolves us of the need to change. And sometimes um, what we are often calling generational curses is often really needs to be defined as generational patterns. What kind of patterns are flowing through your family that need to be addressed? Fear of isolation. We're talking about why people repeat unhealthy family patterns. Fear of isolation. Naturally, we humans desire to belong and being rushed out of our family is difficult for most of us to accept or being pushed out of our family. Deciding to break a family pattern can and does cause issues in our relationships with family, even when the behaviors are blatantly wrong. It can be challenging for the offending family member to accept the harm they've caused. When someone brings family dysfunction out into the open, there's a chance that others in the family will try to deny the problem. It's brave to speak out against unhealthy patterns. Unfortunately, the potentially devastating impact of being vocal keeps many people silent. Because in a lot of cases, it is a devastating impact. Um, I know when I broke the silence in my family and decided to speak out about the um, child sexual abuse that I witnessed, it created a devastating impact in our family. We became homeless. Our lives were forever changed by that being brought out into the open. Um, our lives were never the same again in childhood. And we can literally pinpoint it to that moment. And so that is a lot of responsibility, especially um, on young people especially if you're talking about children having to bring something out into the open that is, you know, blatantly wrong. And I can look back and recognize that many children in my position wouldn't have done that. They just wouldn't have. Um, will I say that I was an anomaly? Probably. But I was always... I kind of felt like if something was wrong, I needed to say something. And I've always been that way. So I think that was a part of my personality, that if I saw something that I didn't feel was right, that I would need to, you know, declare that this is not right. So having kind of like a strong sense of justice has always been like a core part of me as a person. Here's another reason why people repeat unhealthy family patterns, content with the way of being. Some people may not see anything wrong with specific family issues. For instance, gossiping about family members could be an acceptable norm within a family. Gossiping might be even joked about or downplayed. However, even when people are content with certain behaviors, it doesn't mean those behaviors are healthy. It just means that no one has the necessary tools to change the patterns. What you might notice as a problem might be an acceptable way of being for someone else. We don't universally agree about problems. You can't persuade or convince people to change, even if you can see how changing could improve their life. You can see how not changing impacts their life, 
and how their behaviors affect you. But the only thing you can change is you. So in some families, it might feel better to live with the dysfunction than to do anything about it. Lacking the tools to start. Without proper role models or support, it's hard to know where or how to start. Perhaps you see a problem, but trying to solve it can be just as anxiety provoking as being the middle of the problem itself. The ways we show up in family relationships tend to be habitual. So out of habit, you might invite certain family members to gatherings. If you decide to shift your invitation list, others in the family might question you about it. Family relationships are interconnected. So when you decide to change the nature of one relationship, it might change other relationships in the family as well. For instance, if you decide to stop speaking to your sibling, your parents might change the way they engage with you. Indeed, it can be hard to start changing patterns because your choices impact everyone. How to handle current abuse in a family. If there is a sexual predator in your family, you cannot ignore their behavior. In too many families, children are thrust into the midst of people who have harmed other family members. We can't assume that a perpetrator will eventually become a safe person to have around children. In my 16 years as a therapist, I've heard many stories of people informing their parents of abuse by family members only to have their parents and other adults continue their relationships with the abusive person. This makes the child feel unsafe within the family, leaving them emotionally neglected. Instead of telling your kids, stay away from so-and-so, keep your kids away from people who aren't safe. Children aren't responsible for protecting themselves against known family predators. It isn't their responsibility to manage their relationships with people who can potentially harm them. Adults who are harmful should never have access to your children. Obviously, if a family member is harming a child, something legally should be done to protect that child and other children from potentially being harmed. Once we're adults, however, it's our responsibility to protect ourselves. So only you can decide how you wanna to change to handle the situation. As an adult, you may choose to call out your abuser to the family, seek legal action, or avoid the person whose behaviors are problematic for you. All right. So why do people repeat unhealthy family patterns? Possible fear of isolation, possibly being content with the way things are, lacking the tools to start, and then she talks about how to handle current abuse in the family. Which leads us back to our first book, Set Boundaries, Finding Peace. Thought patterns that stop us from setting boundaries. You fear being mean. Your biggest fear may be the fear of being mean. But what is being mean really? When you say, I don't want to be mean, you're assuming that what you say to another person will be perceived that way. But how do you know what others see as mean? The truth is you don't. The fear of being mean is based on the assumption that you know how the other person will view your words. But assumptions are not facts. 
their hypothesis. Experiment with assuming that people will fully understand what you are saying. You fear being rude. How you verbalize your boundary matters. In part two of this book, we'll go into depth about exactly how to state your boundaries. We tend to assume that when we declare what we expect, we can do it only by yelling or cursing people out. Typically, this is the case when we've reached a breaking point and have waited too long to set the boundary. But if you're proactive about it, you won't have to reach a breaking point. You'll be able to communicate your limits respectfully. If you've reached a boundary breaking point, however, you can practice what to say, which will help you assertively deliver your expectations without being rude or yelling. Another reason why thought patterns that would stop us from setting boundaries, you're a people pleaser. The hardest thing about implementing boundaries is accepting that some people won't like, understand, or agree with yours. Once you grow beyond pleasing others, setting your standards becomes easier. Not being liked by everyone is a small consequence when you consider the overall reward of a healthy relationship. People pleasers tend to be consumed with thoughts about what others are thinking and feeling. They wanna appear as good, helpful, and inviting. For people pleasers, setting a boundary is especially hard because their worst fear is being disliked on top of the fear of being mean or rude. These fears are often significant enough that people pleasers would rather suffer in relationships without limits than face their fears. Here's another thought pattern that can stop you from setting boundaries. You're anxious about future interactions after the boundary is set. The fear is things will be awkward between us after this. Well, declaring a fear makes it so. If you state that you'll behave awkwardly during your next encounter, you probably will. What if you continue the relationship normally instead? State your boundary and proceed with typical business. You can't control how your request is received, but you can choose to behave in a healthy way afterward. Maintaining a level of normalcy will help keep future encounters healthy. So do your part. Model the behavior you want to see in the relationship and you don't have to be awkward. Here's another pattern. You feel powerless and not sure that boundaries will help you. You attend to every problem except the lack of healthy boundaries. You assume that even if you set one, people won't listen. You think about the worst case scenario and become consumed with thoughts about how establishing a boundary will never help. But if you execute and uphold your boundary, it will work. Staying consistent is essential if you want others to adhere to your boundaries. Uh, and this is one that a lot of people fall into, thought patterns. You get your value from helping others. Mm, mm, mm. But I'm a helper, you say. There's nothing wrong with that, but you can be a helper without being a pushover. Help people and set a boundary. Help people and set a boundary. One more time. Help people and set a boundary. Limits create clarity about how you are willing and able to help. After all, helpers who are typically overwhelmed with caring for others while neglecting themselves 
need boundaries too. You project your feelings about being told no onto other people. Maybe you don't like to be told no, and so you think other people are going to have the same reaction that you did. You hate being told no, so much so that you hate telling other people no. It's natural to dislike it when you don't get what you want, but being told no is healthy. It's likely an indication that the other person has healthy boundaries. If you learn to manage your feelings about being told no, you will become a more sympathetic boundary setter. But don't assume that others will feel the same way you feel. Allow people to have a response before you presume how they will feel. They might be open to your boundary. Again, you might not have any clue where to start. Getting started might be your biggest hurdle. What do I say? What if they don't like it? These are good questions, but that's why in this book, we'll address what to say, when to state your boundary, and what to do if your boundary is not real received. When you practice unhealthy boundaries for so long, it's hard to consider your options. You've grown accustomed to not having choices. While reading, you will gain a lot of ideas about possible boundaries that you can implement in various scenarios. And finally, you believe that you can't have boundaries in certain relationships. You might think, well, I can't tell my mother I don't like such and such. Instead, think, how can I tell my mother that I don't like this? In every relationship, including your most closest and intimate ones, you can set boundaries. It's a matter of how you set them. Many people find it hardest to communicate expectations to family, but hard does not equal impossible. The hardest thing can be overcoming your belief that the process is complicated. Again, assuming the worst is what most often stops us from even trying. All right, so next time that we are in this book, we'll be looking at uncomfortable feelings that may arise from setting boundaries. I hope you're getting some good clues here and some good practical tips and thoughts about how to set boundaries in your own life. A lot of the drama, a lot of the um, discord that we see in our world, a lot of it could be put out by people simply learning how to set boundaries. A lot of the arguments that we see, a lot of the disagreements that we see, you can almost trace most of them back to somebody didn't set a boundary Somebody wasn't clear about a boundary. Someone didn't know they crossed the boundary. They crossed the boundary. And now it's a world of drama and trouble. So, again, I encourage you to invest in Nidra Glover Tawab's books. Set Boundaries, Find uh, Peace, and Drama Free. If you would like to come on and speak on the topic today, please feel free to click on the camera and I will bring you in. If you are listening by Google, Spotify, or any other streaming platform, I want to say thank you for your time and attention. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be light.